Hey everyone, it's Tom Kradza, and on this episode of the Your Life, Your Term show, Nick and I sit down with Dave Butler of Butler Mortgages Select, and the reason that we want to sit down with him at this time is that we have never seen a real estate market this crazy in a January. You know, the broker, Rockstar Real Estate has been around for over a decade now. Nick and I have been involved in real estate for two decades, our family for, I guess, you know, you know, if you go all the way back to the 70s and our mom renting our properties, our family in some capacity four or five decades has been involved in the real estate market. And for Nick and I, we've never seen a January quite like this, where we are seeing 10, 15 offers on places in Oakville that would normally get two or three offers and places outside of Hamilton that you would would normally sit around for a month or two and get no offers. We're seeing 15 offers. And, you know, we are seeing offers on properties up to 30 offers, 40 offers. It's absolutely crazy out there on the outskirts of the GTA. It's completely insane. And we wanted to get his insight into what he is seeing from the bankers and the underwriters. What are they saying? So on this episode of the podcast, we chat about that, the seasons to financing, because there really are seasons where banks get more competitive with each other. So this is really just a casual chat with Dave to get his insight because he's been in the game a long time and what he is seeing just to help us all build some context into what the heck we're seeing and maybe forecast what we're seeing in the next few months. So this is the podcast. About three quarters into the podcast, we have this massive a laugh attack just thinking about it's making me laugh and I had to edit out a couple minutes of it we rarely have to do something like that but we just broke down so much that it was like nonsensical so I, I tried to leave most of it in but our our team here edited out a little piece there so if you hear a bit of a disconnect in what we're talking about it's just because we had to we just broke down so much but we left the majority of it in so you can just hear how crazy things got uh in in our conversation so um if you get to that segment and and feel like we're we're laughing too much or whatever we totally are but I just kind of left it in so you can get a feel of, of, of the discussion anyway if you are listening to this and you are thinking about getting into the real estate market in some capacity the number one book from us would be income for life for Canadians this book has been downloaded tens of thousands of times and you can get a free copy of this book at rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash books that's rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash books in this book we outline why we think real estate is an investment, a good investment. We also think it fits over the next 10 years where we think income is going to be the unicorn of the next 20 years. And what I mean by that is that income or cash flow is going to be very hard to generate. So if you have a piece of, uh, or some sort of asset that's generating income, it's like you you found a unicorn. So it's really important to understand these concepts. Even if you're deciding not to get into the real estate market, at least be aware of what is going on. And one of the best books from us for that would be Income for Life for Canadians. You can get a free copy of that at rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash books. That's enough with the intro. Let's get on with the show. Are you ready to live life on your terms? Is it time to take charge? Real estate, business building, the economy, health and nutrition, and more. It's the Your Life, Your Term Show with Tom and Nick Carazza. Are you ready? Let's go. We are live with uh, Dave Butler. David William Butler. Isn't it William? Yeah, no. it, it is. is it's it? Actually, there's what? It Were we laughing about that last time? Because why would I know that? <laughs> Tom calls me Dave William Butler, and then there's David William Butler, and then there's Dave Butler. It's a whole... 
Oh. It matches with thing. my Instagram. It's I have a well, personal Instagram, you know a business Instagram. But your business company. card, you had the you had the uh, the W. It was Dave I did. W. Butler. Actually, actually, yeah, it was Dave W. Butler. You thought the W Man. was going to get you more business. You know what it was? I'm not going to lie. Dan Dan Patton, my partner, he uh, he went Daniel J. Patton. And, and you're uh, like, oh, that I, sounds it, it, cool. Yeah, like I had FOMO, man. So I was like, I just got to go Dave W. But I, I, it's, it's just Dave now. It's just Dave Butler. So, Nick, you would be Nick A. Carranza? That's just Nick A. I would be Tom M. Tom M. That kills it. It just kills it. You have to use the full name. It has to be Nicholas A. Carranza. There you go. Then then I'm official. Then mine would be Tomislav M. Still doesn't doesn't really work. The M just is a blocker. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so, uh, uh, Dave, we're here to talk serious business. I don't know why you guys are joking around. This is insane what's going on in the real estate market. So let's start just with... I think you always give some insight into Canadian banks and the seasons they tend to have around mortgages and the interest rates they offer. And the reason I'm asking you this is because we want everyone to have insight that they don't necessarily have. And you have a lot of this insight. Yeah. So spill the freaking beans. All right, here we go. We're spill beans. So traditionally, um, this is this is a slower time of year. Um, and a lot of times the banks, we notice December, January, February, they won't really fight for the business um, because when you have a drop in in effective you know total addressable market let's say where not as many people are buying homes in in the dead of winter and not many people want to sell their homes in the dead of winter um, you know you essentially the banks don't like to fight each other for that business and then if we all remember there would be like the BMO or the old HSBC in like March or April right at the beginning of the spring market you'd see you know and we kind of remember it from it was repetitive it was like this 299 special would come out blow the doors off the rates and then it was like it was almost like that was okay the race has started and then that led into the spring summer market Um, and that's why we say traditionally because right now I mean you know giving you guys the stats like December for our brokerage was actually the busiest month of the year in 2020 we actually went normally traditionally it's a ramp up to August and then a slow down from there August being the peak and then it starts to slow down December and January become your slowest months of the year this year is the opposite. August actually kept going up. So September was higher than August, October, and so on and so on. December actually ended up being our busiest month, biggest volume month we've ever had. And January is tracking to be obviously the biggest January we've ever had, with, which goes without saying. But um, we're not going to obviously see that this year. We've already even seen HSBC, instead of waiting till the spring market, came out with that crazy rate in December. So you, you almost can just, and in a weird way, if you take away the amount of months we kind of lost, you know, did what take that back from the spring market. It kind of does add up in a weird mathematical way, but yeah. So traditionally um, there's not a lot of fight for the business and then the spring market starts things up, but uh, you know, Wait, so you, th- you think that move by HSBC to offer 0.99% on primary residence yeah. on, on that is a, sorry, it's 0.99 on variable. That yeah. was their offer. Okay. So yeah. you think that's an early kind of move to try to pull some business their way? Something. I mean, it could, you know, it can also, these, these banks and, and lending institutions are all very, in, you know, they're very weird when it comes down to their quarterlies as well. Right. So, I mean, you know, they could have been wanting to do who knows a year end thing. I mean, it depends on what their fiscal, um, what their fiscal year end is, but I mean, it could, it could be something where they just, they felt like there was going to be more demand. And so they wanted to beat everyone to the punch. Um, that's usually how it works. Um, but I mean, you know, it's tough to say. It could have also been a quarterly, you know, 
it could have been also something where they were trying to jam a big quarter in. You, you know what I mean? For for uh, for earnings, you never really know with these publicly traded companies. There's there's a lot of things behind the motives. You you probably know this all, already, but I just I, I hadn't looked this up before. So I did a one percent interest rate on a five hundred thousand dollar mortgage over twenty five years. In the first month, in the very first month, you're only paying four hundred sixteen dollars in interest. Yeah, it's, it's that's cra- like if you're someone that's buying property. As, as an investor, let's say, or anyone, I mean, homeowner, whatever, the benefit of that, no wonder the prices have, have been driven up so high. It's just, it, it, it skews the numbers so much to only pay $400 in interest on, and that's an amortized mortgage, not a simple loan. So, you know, the banks screw you more with amortization, right? So that's over, over 25 years, only 416 bucks. That's crazy. So the banks must be freaking out then because their profit margins here, as, as everything gets squeezed lower, like they're, they're, they're making, I know they're making a killing. I'm not trying to say they're not making yeah. an absolute killing off that mortgage. Let's face it, they are. But at relative to what they used to make, I guess they're starting, they must be starting to freak. Um. Yeah, I mean, I'm well, looking at do you, Dave, like you have the answer to this. No, I, I mean, I, you know what it is? I, I'm thinking more affordability. Like when we're like, I was actually the other day, I was doing the numbers. And like when you were talking about, you know, $500,000 mortgage, I was looking at a million dollar mortgage just back in, if we remember early March, or early 2019. So that's like, you're talking like, say March, April. Do you know that the five-year fixed rate, remember it was like 3.89, 3.99? So that was only like 20 months ago. So 20 months ago, someone could have had a million dollar mortgage at 3.89% and their mortgage payment was gonna be 4,700 bucks a month, okay? You take today, someone gives someone a 1.4 variable rate, which is a very achievable rate today on an owner-occupied. That payment today is 3,300 bucks. You're talking a difference of 1,400 bucks divided by 3,300. That's like roughly 42% or something like that. So there's, I don't know why there's all this big surprise on why the house, because (laughs) if, if I say to you, I go, hey, you have a nice house right now. You have a nice $1.5 million house. You have a million dollar mortgage. That's great. You must be happy, right? Well, what if you went and bought the two, just sell your house now and go buy a $2 million house and take a, a, a $1.5 million mortgage and your mortgage payment will basically be the same as what you're paying now, right? It's crazy. So, so why aren't people then moving? You know what I mean? Like I'm, I, full disclosure for me, I'm like, yeah, okay, my purchasing power is now drastically increased, right? When I'm looking at these, and guys, that was 20 months ago, yeah. 20 months ago. Yeah, it's crazy. It's, it's you know what? So I just did the, the same thing because... I took the 500,000 and I just pushed the interest rate up to 3.75. And then on the schedule, I got this ad coming up now. So instead of, what, what did I say before, 400 and something yeah, dollars yeah. interest? It, was, it goes up to 15.62. Yeah. The no, amount of interest in the first month triples. Yeah. It triples. Yeah. Interest so, yeah. when you have a one in front of it so, is sexy. But, so here's, but here's the crazy thing. So Tom, then we, when we, because um, there's been multiple comments by uh, CMHC guy. Yeah, CMHC guy. That came out and is just blaming real realtors. Yeah. yeah, and he's like, "Oh, it's these crazy realtors. That's what's driving up the market." And we're like, "What? It's not. It's not no. the realtor. It's it's the government policy that's kind of causing people to do this stuff." And it should be pretty straightforward. That guy's, I know, slightly. I mean, you can't say this because you have to work with them as a, as a as a mortgage broker. So I'll say like that guy's a little bit crazy to begin with. Some of the comments that he comes out with, for he's he's definitely the most outspoken in a strange way. Um, CMHC head that I think we've seen in recent years. That's for sure. 
Definitely then, the uh, most outspoken. <laughs> and then on, 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 on kind of the whole other angle of all this is let's say over the last 10 years, we've seen if, you know, and I hate talking averages, but let's call it, it's been more than 5% appreciation. It's more than 6% appreciation. It's been oh, like God, seven, yeah. we can run the numbers. Last time we checked, it was around about 7% appreciation. Well, the Trev numbers came out for December and it was like 13. Yeah. You know, so, but let's call it, it over the last over. 10 years. And I know there's different pockets and, yeah, sure, and it's yeah, tough yeah. to talk averages. But if we look at 7% appreciation as something that like, holy smokes, with all the money printing going on, are we looking at 7% as the new average? You realize at 7% appreciation compounded a year, properties double in 10 years. So if you buy a property at $500,000, if you're lucky enough to find something like that out in Kitchener right now, that doubles to a million in 10 years. But get this, if it stays at 7%, it doubles again in the next 10 years. So it doesn't go to 1.5 million. That million dollar townhome in Kitchener that went from 500 to a million in the next 10 years, it goes from a million to 2 million. Yeah. Like, where are we headed? Yeah. Compound appreciation is interesting. And, and 7%, <laughs> you and I, would, we would all sit here before, and, and Nick, we said this to rock star investors before. We were like, guys, don't, don't, don't bank yeah. appreciation at 7%. Don't get greedy. We are the smart ones, guys. We know how crazy. Yeah. Listen, we think the Bank of Canada is the enemy just like you do. Yeah. But but listen to us. It's 5%, okay? Don't, don't, please, don't yeah. do this. And one, one investor who still, we all know, I don't know if we can say his name or not, he appreciated one of his properties at 7% a year, uh, ended up getting it refinanced at that value because he you know because he could because it yep. went up seven percent a year then came and reported back to us guys i should be telling you guys and advising you guys what to do because seven percent i was actually a little low it was i think it was a burlington townhome i think it was a burlington townhome like whatever seven years ago or eight years ago or something like that but where are we like where are we headed so we're going to get mortgages at one percent and the and seven percent depreciation like we're in scary territory. <laughs> I mean, like, not to be scared, but I mean, you know, we're we're in we're in what we think we should. Everyone should be cautious. When we when last spring, when they dropped rates the way they did, and we said, you know what's crazier, that they're going to go lower from here. So we sat at this very table and we said they're going to go lower. And some people are like, okay, guys, like, yeah, I see maybe. But really, stretch, they're but not. Come on now, yeah, there's yeah, just no way. Stretching. By the end of the year, like six months later, they were already lower. Yeah. And and now we can't so on the variable we can't really go much lower because what is the overnight lending rate? There's like really only a quarter, quarter left point. until they go negative on their side. Yeah, basically. I guess the the fixed more like we're basically getting to the end here because the fixed rate can't even go like you know much more like you would have the bond market going like really negative like by a point and a half or something for the mortgage market to be able to offer some weird negative mortgage it depends. So, I, I, so i agree except whoa now we're reversing no, you know what whoa whoa, 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 whoa. whoa. hey hold on you guys flip <laughs> yeah. you know you're what? the negative interest rate guy what's going on here i'll tell you i'll tell you what changed i'll tell you what changed biden's already come out and said their initial spending bill they're gonna it looks like they're two gonna trill. aim for two trillion yeah. that's their initial one that's the down payment. They might be doing four trillion this year. Yeah. So that might be. That yeah, might okay. be. But that's <laughs> to they're me, doing four trillion. That's this year. The, that's what can drive it down still. That that is so. There's still some uncertainty there, and I'm not saying it will because it depends how the Fed responds and how they decide to fund it and stuff. Yeah. But the possibility exists only because of craziness. Like yep. absolute craziness. So then, so then we get to the point that Greg Foss brings up, who's a 30-year bond trading veteran, uh, Dave, that's been on the podcast a few times now. And he's traded bonds for so long. He's traded bonds back in the late 80s all the way to, to now. Then we get to his point where the market looks at the bond market and then just says, we don't care. We don't believe this anymore. And sell. 
because we don't think what the money we're going to get paid back in is going to be worth anything. And when you have that kind of market dynamic at play, mm -hmm. then that could bring an interest rate spike in the fixed rates that maybe Dave is calling us one day saying, hey guys, you remember the fixed rate was like 1.74 on rentals? It's actually, you're not gonna believe this, but now it's like, I don't know, 3.74 or something because the bond market just kind of threw up on itself. Yes. And then the government's reaction to that will be absolutely be print more money, buy the bonds to bring the bonds back down. But there could be, let's say, three, four, five months where it's like, Dicey. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. And I think that's why you're saying, Dave, smartly that everyone has to be careful because as real estate investors, you don't want to have so much leverage in your portfolio that if something like that happens and you are in the middle of a refinance or you're in the middle of uh, getting a new term on a mortgage, you can't carry your portfolio. So it's, it's almost like when someone, Nick, you, you know, a couple of people, have told, older guys have told us, look, when in a situation like this, you either want to have like very manageable debt on your portfolio or all debt. Because then the it's the bank's problem. If you owe yeah. like if they if they have a hundred percent debt or ninety five, yeah. you know, you just go all you know to the wall on yep. the debt. Because then it's really not your problem anymore. Then it's yep. really the bank's problem. So have like one or the other. I think there's some guys that did that in the late eighties, early nineties. Not the same situation, but I think that's that that was happening. So <laughs> the uh, I don't know if you uh, you saw this. I think I shared this with you, Dave. But the, the Bank of Canada governor, there was it was like the oversight committee, finance oversight committee or something. There was a question that went to him. And they were talking about the spending that they did, the 600 million that they pumped into markets last year. And they're like, hey, doesn't this ca cause inflation? And don't lower income people, meaning like non-asset owners, aren't, don't they bear the brunt of the inflation? And the guy, it was a longer question. And uh, the, the, who's the governor's name? Tiff, Tiff McClellan? Mac Macklin. Tiff Mac Macklin. Macklin, is that how you say it, right? So he came and he's like, okay, I got to unpack this question a little bit. But then he basically admitted, he's like, yeah, the inflation will harm the lower income earners more. Like, like they, they openly admitted it. I'm like, holy crap, that's the first time I had to, and I don't know why he said it that way. Usually they, they kind of skirt around the subject a little bit. But because it it's his first quote. year in office and he probably regrets saying that. Yeah, that is definitely quote. not something you want coming from a central banker's yeah, mouth. Because it just said, here's our policy. And yes, they're bearing, it, it was the, the term was they're bearing the brunt of it, I think is what they said. And I'm yeah. like, holy cow, they admit it. And it's just, it's crappy to see. It's, it's, it's you know how we, we use the term, the destruction of the middle class, right? Yes. That gap is widening. Yeah. So anyways, we're supposed to be talking about mortgages. No, yeah. So we can get back to the mortgage <laughs> thing. So with all this going on and the banks are overburdened, I'm sure, with all the refinances and that stuff, what is the, is it longer than ever to get deals done and yeah. refinances done? Like, what are you seeing? Can you give us some insight into that? Yeah. So it just it doesn't seem like the banks made any type of infrastructure moves to accommodate the new volume. Um, so we've noticed, obviously it's a plumbing issue. It's, it's a bottleneck issue. So, I mean, we were, there's massive volume. The banks haven't overstaffed. Um, you know, we made a conscious decision this year or sorry, 2020 to overstaff kind of seeing what was happening, um, to keep our service levels up, but the deals have also gotten a lot harder to approve. So one of the things a lot of people don't realize is like, if I sent the deal in four years ago to a bank, um, internally the process was much easier to get an approval um, nowadays pre even pre-covid you know for the last couple of years it was getting much more difficult Esc you needed escalation for a lot more approvals um, now since covid you know there's even more managerial oversight on the files when you're sending them in so what's happening is now you've not only got a bottleneck of volume Right. But you've also now got the deals taking longer to get done from their side and now our side, because 
we even have more documents with COVID and everything else. We have the banks have given us now a much bigger list of documentation we have to provide and information we even have to get from the clients now. That's different from even three, four years ago. So it's it's in a weird way, like, you know, I would I would say this, we had a record year at Butler Mortgage and, and BM Select last year, but I can tell you that's for just volume our margins were compressed quite a bit because we had to overstaff and hire more people and it is taking us a lot more uh, money to be able to service the deals. So it was weird. It was, it, it was, and we were celebrating, but then we, there was the compression of the margins, which is um, certainly as a business owner, it's something to be, you know, we have to, we have to keep. Are, are the banks adjusting and hiring more people or no. they're just like, no, eh? no. So, so you think that is them just saying, ah, you know what it is what it is right now. We'll see. It'll probably, you know, slow down a little bit. So we're not going to quote unquote over hire. Um, are they doing the opposite by chance? Like, are you seeing contacts at the banks that you used to see that are no longer there? They're not laying off no, people right now. I mean, right? there's like, no, we're not seeing any okay. of that, but we're also, we're not seeing, you know, with, with the volume increase, we're not seeing the staff increase, the staffing increase or the infrastructure changes at the banks that at least that's what I can see. I mean, with the banks that we work with, um, which tells me they're waiting for things to go back to normal. So they're, they're either anticipating this isn't going to last for a long, long time. Um, or they're making a bad bet. So we're going to find out. And then what are you seeing? And maybe this is more on, cause I, I know with, um, Butler mortgages select your, your business is, you know, investor focused. I need you to do everything, yep. but it's heavily investor focused and that kind of stuff. What about on your dad's side of the business? Are you seeing any trends of people buying properties where you're just shocked? Like, I don't know at the price point or the mortgage sizes, like any change in consumer behavior, like the typical Canadians behavior that you can comment on yeah. and less, less from the investor side and more just from like the everyday Canadian buying a property, any trends or anything you're seeing there? Yeah. Just what we talked about that the biggest trend that the uh, alarming trend that we're, we're seeing is that, you know, people are contacting us and with the new rates, the first thing they're wanting to see is what they're now able to qualify for. Um, and this is not just investors. This is regular people. So I, you know, I'm Joe and Susie. We're married with kids. We live in a $700,000 property in Mississauga. Um, and we were talking to our uncle the other day and he said to look at refinancing. And then during the course of them contacting us to look at refinancing, they'll mention, oh, wow, I didn't realize the payment was going to be so low. And then you can almost see the wheels start going in their heads on the Zoom call about how, oh, well, you know, we did see that $1.1 million house down the road, honey. And, you know, we've always wanted to move there and now we can afford it. And so that's, that is actually happening way more than I thought. And, um, it also maybe it probably is from the digital age. People are able to literally sit in their computer in front of their computer and now do mortgage calculations. You know, you got to think back like 20, 25 years ago, you, there wasn't even an internet, you know what I mean? So there was no really way of doing that. So you had to call your bank and it slowed the process this down so it's also consumer um, knowledge and the tools that they have is allowing them to now do things and make decisions before waiting for their broker or whoever else so uh, but that's I would say that's the number one trend that I've found personally um, is uh, is that because it's different it's not it hasn't been, been easier to qualify right so it's not like investors you know it'd be different if I said to an investor hey the the rates now are allowing you to go buy more properties then I would know I would be getting an influx of those types of calls and inquiries but really who's it's affected the most is your owner occupied your end user right now is the most 
affected by these low rates and they're seeing it and they're not stupid and they're making moves and that's what we're seeing what about the the banks qualifying people in different industries because i know in the spring there was kind of there was a little bit of bias towards certain industries that they thought were going to be hit you know without any proof it's because some some people even restaurant even industries that were hit hard some of them came out stronger and they've still they've had good years yeah but um i, I guess there must still be some bias that way the banks 100%. are just yeah they're just yeah. being extra cautious and they're making decisions no matter what the numbers show them and that's that's why when we say it's tougher to do deals because we have to get now with covid and everything you know with with the new lending policies it's a you have to get much more information on their employer so previously i just had to get a job on a pay stub send in the application like now you literally have to get information it's like pulling teeth i have to I'll contact the client or my staff has to contact them and say, okay, were you affected at all during COVID? What were your hours like? You know what I mean? Is your pay stub going to be reflective of a full year work or were you off a bit? You know what I mean? And then if you were off, then the bank immediately knows that your business is directly affected by COVID and that allows them to make decisions. And when we talked about earlier, I said more and more deals need to be escalated. That means a human being is the one making the decision. It's not being auto approved on a computer system, right? So the issue there is simply that now the human being is in charge of making that decision. If they feel like, oh, that business, you know what, when COVID gets crazy again, we probably don't want to have that on the books. So they're not going to make that exception for that file that's needed. You know to the craziest the thing about that? They could have, their opinion could be swayed by some Instagram post they read that might not be accurate or whatever, because yep. you don't know what's swaying that human being's opinion because a lot of them just really aren't they're just following a formula and then they have their emotional side to it and there's nothing there's no in-depth knowledge of what's what's really going on yeah and you know you know what the crazy thing is is like when, when we, we we always had humans making the decision before and then as technology's changed now we have these auto approvals like we have these algorithms set up where you can send in the deal well now in a weird way we're going backwards we're going back to the human beings and it's it's slowing things down you know what i mean and it really is a good case study for you know when we go from human to technology and then back to human there's clearly in my opinion i, I mean the bottlenecks created because you're still working off the digital platform but now you're inter you're involving the humans more you know what i mean i know that sounds crazy we're talking like we're not human beings but it's it's really a backwards you know kind of situation so so how are they looking at rentals then like are they looking at rentals as and they're taking market rents and they're comfortable still doing that so if i'm an investor i have I don't know, let's say I have a couple other rental properties. My income supports it. Like I have good credit, I have good income, I have a down payment. Are they looking at it how they used to or are they now more cautious because of some uncertainty in the economy? Definitely more caution. Um, so now like pre, there used to be a lot of lenders that were okay with a market rents analysis um, and that would just be from an appraiser to say that this is what the property will rent out for. Well now during, you know, because of COVID, especially, I don't want to even say now actually. I mean, if I really want to be, more accurate when things were really dicey in like March, April, May, June. Remember there was the big worry about our, yeah, our no landlords going rent. to get their money. That's when the banks were like, whoa, 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 whoa. We don't want market rents. We want proof that your tenant is actually paying you. And that went on throughout the summer. And then, but now the housing, you know, the quick recovery from March and April, the uncertainties kind of left. No, it doesn't seem like anyone's having trouble getting their rent right now, right? We haven't seen, like, there's no mass issue there. So, um, not only no mass issue, we're not seeing any, any issue. issue. Yeah. De default, uh, sorry. Um, non payment of rent. Non payment of yeah, rent. Yeah, the trend hasn't changed. Like, there's always some. Yeah. There's always yeah. some, but that's never, you know, the numbers haven't really yeah. moved much. 
So that that's that's obviously so nowadays, right now, this second, I would say there's not as many restrictions, but they're definitely asking more questions. Again, it's just it's just more information. They're now they, there's so much more information required in an applicant on a mortgage application than there was, you know, even four years ago. And then we go back to when we had all started together. The elite, the, the little amount of questions that were asked on a mortgage application like 20 years ago was insane to me. You know, what I mean, when you look at what we're dealing with now compared to what we were yeah. just in two decades. So. What about the defer? Uh, we when COVID hit, we didn't defer any of our mortgages but then when because you had to call in and stuff and then i had logged into one of our scotia things um and there was uh you could there was like the deferral option i'm like oh how does this work so i kind of clicked something and it said oh you can defer it and i think the thing was just next or something like that and i'm like okay i'll click next i'm just curious how you know what it's gonna what the options are whatever and it said okay your 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 request has been submitted i'm like oh damn like i didn't actually want to do that Nick's deferring (laughs) mortgages that we don't want to defer so i'm like oh damn so i just left it right and so we deferred a mortgage and i'm like it was so like because then i just got an email i'm sure it's not as simple to do that any the next round that i'm sure they're better prepared yeah because two days later we got an email saying okay it's been deferred i'm like damn it like (laughs) i thought it was gonna be you know usually it's like next next confirm or something it just was literally like like, review your request yeah it was just done I'm which like, kind of makes sense because they rushed that thing you remember how bad they rushed oh that God, out yeah. remember they got destroyed on the phone so they must have rushed that out they must not have beta yeah. tested it enough basically so, anyone who wanted to defer any mortgage for any reason whatsoever you just press the button and yeah. it was deferred and i was like so anyways we deferred this mortgage so if we go back to scotia now but i'm guessing like has any have you seen some hiccups with banks if people are going but like if i go back to scotia now and say oh um you know that property i, I deferred i'd like to actually refinance it and yeah, pull, that a mark pull equity against, out I'm, uh, they're gonna be like screw you man we remember we thought remember that was the big thing we remember with all the uncertainty that was a big like oh my god how's that gonna work and, and there was a time for certain you know for sure and and i would say like may june july again you know coming out of the craziness um the people with deferrals we were noticing like decisions being made you know like but not 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 in unison. Um, but then now it's not. It's almost like a non-issue. It's oh. it's we don't even get to get asked about it very much anymore, which is written insane to me. You know, considering how much questions they're asking now about the actual mortgage yeah. application. Those numbers have dropped down a lot. I've seen the charts. Yeah. They seem to be coming down. You know, everyone was worried about the mortgage cliff coming, like started in September. Yep. Then they're like, well, it's going to happen here. I was one of them, I was one of them, by the way. I was a big mortgage yeah. cliff guy. I was yeah. like, oh, okay, I'm going to look to buy my home in December, January, February, and, uh, you know, see if I can catch, catch a situation that's advantageous to me. And uh, it just seemed to go sideways and keep going up so canadian saving rates are like an all-time high yes <laughs> they've jumped this year what is it 300 percent they've gone yeah. up well when there's nowhere to go or nothing yeah. to do and it's free money coming in and there's it. money flowing into the system literally the only thing to do is spend money on a house yeah. where you can get just look at the monthly payment forget about the price just look at the monthly payment it's cheaper spend money there yeah. or you can renovate you can or buy, you can you can buy lumber, and you saw what happened to lumber. Right? <laughs> yeah, actually, uh, someone, uh, yeah, someone I was talking to who's doing a uh, big renovation quoted out ninety thousand dollars for all the lumber. I think they're knocking down the house and rebuild. There was a ninety thousand dollar lumber quote like wow. nine months ago or something like that, right before COVID. Hundred eighty thousand dollars yep. just came in at. He has to present the new quote at a hundred and eighty thousand double. The amount for the lumber cost yeah. double. He was telling me that the U.S. demand is so strong; they're buying all the Canadian lumber that they can down in the U.S. So much so that he was thinking, he was just joking around. He was saying, "Should I buy like a kiln and a big saw? <laughs> like, am I going to have to?" And then I just thought, "Oh my God, is the new tech being a lumberjack? 
<laughs> like whatever <laughs> happened to Dave? Oh yeah, like the mortgage thing kind of fizzled out, and he just he became a lumberjack. Actually, dude, there's with more that hat money. On, wait, you know what? With that hat on right now that you're wearing, I, dude, looked, I could see. Yeah, you know, I yeah, there's more. And money. I got the, I got the ginger beard, so that yeah, that, yeah, that kind yeah, of goes right, with yeah, the yeah, lumberjack. Yeah, yeah, I feel yeah. like. And you're stocky. You're big and strong enough. Holy shit! Dave's alone. Can you imagine though? Dave's just killing it. What's he doing? Oh, he's a lumberjack yeah, up north. I'll start a new insta. It'll just be Dave L. Lumber. You know, there's LBM something to be lumberjack. said for that lifestyle, though. You know, like <laughs> oh, you're just laughing at the rest of the world. You're yeah. cutting trees, living outside, yeah. barbecuing your meat, yeah. being happy, yeah. selling wood to all the city folk who are just like bidding on like a two by four. Like we should start a lumberjack camp. That's what we should right? do. Once yeah. a week, we go yeah. become a lumberjack a in 90 days with Dave Butler. Well, you know what we could do too. Go and f- we got to go find all of these, these jacked up guys that aren't able to work out. And that's now our big oh, pitch. That's right? the crew. Yeah, that's, the the crew. that's the crew. Yeah. yeah, it's just human labor. We don't even need equipment. Yeah, we don't even need to be like, hey, do you? Well, did you go to a Gold's out? Gym? Did yeah. you have you ever gone <laughs> to a Gold's Gym? <laughs> if you check yes to this box, please meet us three hours north. And yeah, we're are give you, you a dying big to work out right now? They're like, yes, we yeah. can't. We, there's nowhere to work out. We're dying to work out. Okay, listen, we won't pay you. We'll, we'll, we'll let you cut trees. Are we and providing get a steroids or no? <laughs> no steroids. No, it's legit. Okay, it's it's an Wait. organic. It's an organic. Let's see. How, let's let's before we do that. Let's just see how this the first couple of months go, and then we'll see. Because if we needed you know, to amp up the yeah, performance, we, 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 we already know. Just get a little. <laughs> you know what? Then we can bring in a naturopathic doctor to check everybody's hormones and make sure if we're gonna do TRT, if we're gonna do TRT. <laughs> We got to do this properly. Like, we could be the legit version. I'm not talking I, I'm about... 100%. Like, I mean, the legit yeah, version. Prescribed. Grass-fed beef. Yep. Legit yep. TRT. Yep. Lumberjacks yeah. have to be essential, too. We can do that anytime. 100%. No, you need you need, la- you need to be able for construction. You need wood, so... I'm yep. pretty sure they're... We can they start are this tomorrow. We are probably essential. clear enough trees to make a little runway, and guess we could fly up there. If there's anyone to- listening <laughs> that's dying to work out... <laughs> Listen, Rockstar just, is introducing a new Rockstar Lumberjacks. <laughs> the, only, the only problem is we don't actually own the land, so we're just going to go to some some piece of land that we don't own, and we're going to start <laughs> chopping trees down. Who are those fifty guys pulling trees out of the ground? <laughs> <laughs> Why are they loading them up onto that eighteen wheeler? <laughs> they're putting. It looks like they're putting them in a cube van and on yeah. top of a cube yeah. van. That's crown land. I swear that is crown yeah. land. We can find a spot. Look, I just looked at the Federal Reserve. Uh, we got to get serious here. Yep. I just looked at the Federal Reserve. And in uh, you know when we started looking at the debt levels in the U.S., it was about $8 trillion. And Nick, I'll remember this for as long as we live. I remember looking a few years later and we were like, oh my gosh, at this growth rate, it's going to like double you know, 2016, 17. And I remember everybody thinking, whoa, no, 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 no. They did QE1, too. They're going to tighten this I thing. was one of those, too. I'm like, that. Yeah, I, yeah. I know that makes sense, but I'm like, it just seems Yeah, it seems right. And I'm, but right? I remember, I'm like, this is just math. Like, I'm just telling you, if I extrapolate, one one, if yeah. I extrapolate <laughs> this line out at this trend, that's where we're headed. And we were like, whoa. And then, you know, we crushed through 16 trillion. So I just looked right now. It's about to touch $27 trillion in the wow. U.S. When was it, 8, 2016? It was 8 or 9, no. No, it was eight or nine three, uh, three further back, like 2009 or so, 2009. Mm-hmm. So it's tripled. It's tripled from 2009 to 2020, now 2021, in about 12 years. It's tripled. Mm-hmm. So now here's my point. To keep the system going, 
when you have 27 trillion in, does that mean in the next three years, we go from 27 trillion, what is this? 60, 40, 64, 60, 80 something. 80, yeah, what am I, what, 84, I know, 80, ni- no, 80, 90, no, 90, no, 91. 92, we can't figure this out. <laughs> oh, I'm going to watch you guys multiply. Lumberjacks yeah. are the future. No, it's actually 81. Sorry. I'm glad my, my real estate investment, thank you. Thank you. I'm glad my real estate investment guy and my and my mortgage broker can't do simple multiplication math. It makes me feel very So in the next 10 years, yeah, it's where this is very, Look, that is tough to multiply times three. Uh, so I haven't been uh, underwriting for a while. Yeah, come on. <laughs> so are we going? No, I'm just like hypothetically here. In the next 10 years, are we going to be sitting here in our lumberjack cabin doing a podcast talking about the U.S. debt at $81 trillion? trillion. No, I think it's going to falter before that. But the, the thing 81? is, if it falters, like if it falters, this is bad because if it falters, the only fix is more money. Because if it falters and doesn't get quote unquote fixed with more money, we're talking about a system reset here. Yes. We're talking yeah, about a monetary collapse of yeah. the of the petrodollar system. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. So that's I don't I don't yeah collapse is a, a, the word probably that I wouldn't use. But but I, I mean I, I'm I just saying what that's mean. what it is. Yeah, but I think I think what'll happen is they'll just value it against some something else, and then yep. they'll use that. They'll be a word, okay, but that's what I'm word saying. Word. A collapse is. Yeah, and I agree. I agree. So I just don't use the word collapse because I think collapse to me means that it's going to be completely unorderly, and I think that they're going to figure out a way to blindfold people enough to make it orderly. Yep. So when the International Monetary Fund talks about their monetary, you know, it's time to redo the Bretton Woods Act. And we need to come together that they, you know, this goes back to central bank digital currencies. Well, it's, and, for the and the good, whole it's for the good of humanity yeah. for us to all do this. It's going to under the, the cover of, of, so, of social, green and environment social causes. Exactly. Well, we're going to spend yep. so much because you got to think like we can all argue or not argue. You know, there's going to be two camps, especially in Canada that, you know, should we should we endorse oil or do we have to go to these green, you know, and everyone's going to have their opinions on that. But it is if we remove that from the equation and just look at it, look at the environmental movement could be a beautiful cover for the International Monetary Fund and all the governments to justify an absolutely massive amount of spending where I'm going to be convinced a fraction actually goes to the right places and makes cleaner energy and all of it just goes to the usual suspects. Yeah. But they'll be able to use that as a brilliant cover to say, you know what, we thought we were going to do $2 trillion in February and now it's June. We got to actually, we got to get this green movement really ramped up. We're going to throw another $4 trillion at this sucker. Well, wasn't the war on terror, like they did the same, same, similar thing. It was a blank check to do all yep. sorts of, and that's where all these, surve- like more weapons and all these surveillance programs came in. Like, And I mean, talking about domestically, right? And, and the in, in, um, infrastructure into that type of technology, facial recognition and more cameras on the streets to track people and all that stuff that was all under this this you know the war on terror except they they focused so much of the money domestically on like yeah. where the, the terror really wasn't that they were saying where the, the, the where the terrorists were all overseas right so yeah, yeah to me it's a similar it's a similar thing yeah it's wild what's going on but to transition through that then so then our our, our whole theory kind of holds that like you want good assets yeah because through that time if you can survive through any sort of transition because nick i'm not going to use the word collapse any sort of transition um, the, if you own assets, you come out the other side, still owning the assets yep. denominated in whatever new Canadian dollar value they're denominated in, but you come out the other side. The key to that, Dave, to your point earlier is to be smart with any leverage or debt on it so that you can handle that kind of transition. Yep. 
not to be over leveraged, but, and I, I, I know this sounds ridiculous when I'm talking this way, guys. Like I understand I, it sounds when you start talking about a monetary collapse or 27 trillion at the end of 10 years going to $81 trillion. But I mean, this, this seems like the reality we're facing. Like this doesn't seem as crazy as it would two years ago. No, I was going to say you, I mean, yo, those, I'm sure most of your listeners know some of your story with regards to you guys and, and gold and your interest and, and why. Um, but yeah, this, this, before I, when I, when you guys used to tell me, I was like, wow, I was like, Tom, Tom and Nick are so smart. But I'm like, I think they're, they're, really, I think they're a little early. And then now I'm like, Oh, Oh shit. You guys, I don't think you guys are that early anymore. You know what I mean? So it's similar. And I think that's why we're also seeing like the run in Bitcoin. Cause I think like the, the idea, the idea is speeding up people's time frames and their lens, for instance, on when these things come to fruition has definitely been sped up potentially 10 to 15 years. Right. So, um, yeah. yeah, that's the crazy part. That's what we were saying earlier before we started recording. You said it, and I think you hit the nail on the head is that we've sped things up like 10 or 15 years. It was about two years ago. We were, we were sharing with everyone here on the team at Rockstar. We're like, Hey, when you talk to investors, tell them they have about a 10 year window. When you look at the population growth that we're going to continue to have in here, I know everybody's worried about, aren't the borders closed and stuff. Listen, immigration still happening into this country when, and we want more immigration as federally mandated. So when we have the people that are flying in here, and we still have these low interest rates and relatively good incomes with more money flying into the economy from the government. And I understand we have major economic stuff happening, but I thought it was going to be a 10 year window to buy some properties and own some good assets. Like that's shrunk right down. Big time. And yeah. I don't even know what the window is now, but I feel like, and I, and I know this can sound so self-serving, especially by someone who's not into real estate. It's like, oh, here these guys are saying buy some real estate. We're, no, no, no. We're not saying buy real estate because real estate's the holy grail. We're saying just own some assets. You choose the assets you want to own. We're not here to tell you that. But strongly consider owning some gold, some Bitcoin. Start your, uh, create a business. Yep. Buy some income producing properties. Well, full disclosure is I'm in the market to purchase real estate. And, and that's, it's more so because of, 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 of COVID and, 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 and what's happened and where, you know, my, my feelings on where things are going similar to what you guys think, which is you need to have hard assets. So, I mean, uh, for me, it's, it's accumulation now. I mean, the government's pouring in all this money. Um, when we've seen what happens with, with QE before. So, I mean, I think the writing's on the wall. So it, it's, it's about having the right assets and making sure your asset bundle is set correctly. You know, you've got X amount in real estate, you know, you get X amount in equities, X amount and making sure your portfolio is set up correctly. But how does that impact you if you're looking to get a mortgage? So let's say they're buying you know, they, they have some real estate or they're just looking to buy a property, but you have other assets versus cash in the bank. Are the banks going to look at you? Because the banks want the cash in the bank. They don't want you to have other assets. They don't care about those. So do you have to sell some of those to put cash in the bank? Like, how does it work? Um, are you talking about in terms of like down payment? Or qualifying? You're just talking about qualifying. qualifying. Oh, qualifying. Because I mean, like if I have... Assets I are meaningless now. And that's the crazy part. Like ever since 2008, 2009, like asset lending became, you know, like where, you know, Remember back before 2008, 2009, U.S. housing market crash, all those ninja mortgages and everything else. They were, a lot of them were also, you know, aside from the ninja mortgages, there were these, remember the equity mortgage, right? If you have, you know, you are not just equity no, net I don't, worth. I don't remember. Yeah, if you had, oh, you, yeah, you, yeah, you yeah, used to be able to be like, hey, my client has no income, no nothing, but they actually have like $700,000 in the bank. Will you lend to them? And the bank would be like, yeah, well, if they got 700 grand in the bank, you know, we'll lend them this. 
because it was nothing based on their income. Um, you know, that that those don't exist anymore. You know, we even have we'll have fights with, you know, Lao lenders and it's kind of, you know, I'll have a really good client, a really high net worth client, but maybe they just switched from, you know, working at their company to self-employed, you know, and you know, you're looking at this deal and you're like, wait, this guy used to make X amount of dollars as an executive at a company. He's branched out starting his own company. You know, clearly he wouldn't be quitting his $200,000 a year job if he didn't think he was going to, you know, make X amount of dollars at his new venture. Um, you know, oh, and by the way, my client also has like X amount of equities, X amount of real estate holdings, net worth, high, high net worth. The bank just comes back and goes, yeah, no, he's newly self-employed and we'll only use their taxes and he doesn't have the two years taxes for self-employment. So we're going to turn the deal down. And now that customer has to go to a B lender. So, I mean, it's the idea is, is like the A lending, the, the, that whole asset lending thing is gone. However, you know, when you bring it up like that, it kind of gets, we, it makes my mind start thinking, well, wait. At a certain point, the value, the values of the homes keep going up. The prices of the homes keep going up. The the incomes won't be able to qualify. So then maybe now they introduce potentially, you know, oh, well, if now you have this asset. And we're starting to see it. Some of the net worth programs are coming back. They're different. They're like hybrid and whatnot. But you are starting to see little things like banks coming and be like, hey, we've got this special program now. You know what I mean? And, and again, it's it's... It's layered, you know, and, and, and they can't go too crazy because everyone offsees on everyone's butt right now. You know what I mean? But um, we're starting to see creativity pop back in. Right. That's going to be the challenge. If, and it's the number one question we get, like incomes. What, what happens when incomes can't qualify anymore? So we know from the rental market, like if we own the asset, we know what happens is people we've seen it. People end up living in smaller. So rents have increase and to a point. But then people also live in smaller areas yep. so no different than instead of renting a whole house they rent half a house right or instead of renting a thousand square foot condo they're renting a 600 square foot condo whatever the numbers are so but it's just when you're acquiring these things there comes a point that there's got to be some some either change in qualification they have to do something with rates or with programs or amortizations to allow for further qualification or eventually it just tops out Right. If, if, if yeah. incomes don't keep moving. That's interesting. That's coming back on the, on the B lender. What rate is that per that type of person getting from a B lender? Well, I mean, now with rates so low. Yeah, that's I mean, why I'm here. Yeah, I'm like, is the B lender even I've that seen, cost prohibitive? Believe it or not, I've, we've got, there's 299 like from B, B lending. Yeah, B lending rates out there, which is like, I mean, again, like, think 20 months ago, 299. That's better than the A lending rates. Like the A lending rates 20 months ago was 3.89 for a five year fix. That's with a that's with a major bank, and now you can get a B lender approval at two point nine nine. And it's funny what you were saying about um, your your own, yourself looking at real estate because a few of my friends who have you know done really well for themselves, they weren't looking. Actually, Nick, you know multiple of these people who who have done very well, mostly into other things that are not real estate. In the last six months. Each of them have decided they want real estate in their portfolios. Yeah, they want to park are, their money. Yeah. They, and they want to buy real estate. And they're looking at it. And it's interesting because the conversations are coming from protect my purchasing power, buy good assets. And it, this is the conversations that two, three years ago we just never had. It's because yeah. you've brainwashed them from talking to you so much. <laughs> <laughs> brainwashed anybody. Well, but, the, yeah. but I mean, the other thing is... I'm is, trying. I mean, clearly yeah. trying to. But I don't think I've like, succeeded on it. There's, there's always... <laughs> There's, there's always, uh, you know, sector rotation. And uh, when you think of the investment, you know, you think of investments and in, in what families will invest their money in, you know, the equity markets are very frothy right now. And let's be realistic. There are definitely people that are looking to lock in their profits 
And then they're not going to just sit in cash. And where are they going to put it? More and more people, to your point, are looking at using real estate as their safe haven. Whereas before, you know, some people were, you know, when the bottom was in on, on, on some of these stock market crashes, their safe haven was actually just to ride the equity market up. Yeah, right? that was going to be my question to you. Do you think now, because uh, at the point that people are at, as they, if they get older, they've made some cash, right? So now they have some income. Then is that why they're looking at the properties now? Because they're like, man, I just need to park some of this money someplace and have it. I just want it doing something in a relatively safe, you know, let no one, the house isn't going to get blown down. Like, I don't know, maybe it does, but there's no hurricanes and that type of stuff around here. Like, is that, is it more that approach yeah. versus someone else that's maybe, you know, starting out in a smaller, a smaller, uh, a, a, a smaller asset base, right? A, a smaller kind of jar of capital that they're starting with to be able to kind of grow that. And they, they, you know, a lot of people want speed that way, but the people that have cash are like, it's no different than the guys that buy these big apartment complexes. Right, they're just—they're not buying these bigger car apartment complexes to make bucket loads of money, but they're parking a big amount of cash, these REITs and stuff, and throwing it in there and yep. seeing where things go. And, and it's funny that I was just reading. So yeah, I'm agree. Uh, that is what's happening. And I just read that shareholder letter, Nick. What's that one shareholder letter that does a great I, job? It's Stone I, I Ridge. Haven't, I haven't read it. Oh, yeah. it's, oh, you haven't read it? Yet? I haven't read it's it. I know it's so open still. Yeah. Oh my gosh, it's so yeah. good. It's a, so Dave. It's a shareholder letter. These guys are into, you know, hard money and gold and Bitcoin, yep. and they wrote a shareholder letter. Um, I was actually thinking of explain, uh, sharing it with your dad because it's just so well written. I thought this is a nice little cheat sheet to like just really get up to speed. He's just gonna tell you why it sucks. <laughs> that's why I like, but that's why I like Ron. No, Ron is the best sounding board because Ron will just cl- cut through the shit and say this is stupid for these three reasons, and it makes you think. That's yeah. what you. And need it's to, always the you, worst case scenario yeah, too, yeah, so you yeah. know like it's not gonna likely happen the way he's. But it might be there might be a middle ground yeah. somewhere. He shocks yeah, yeah, you yeah. enough that you think, and you need those people, and you're like you need those types of advisors in your life you know like i think this is going to happen but i'm so convinced i might be wrong here what does ron think and it, it's so funny i was i was having like a father son chat with him the other day and i was like we were just having a chat it's funny you say that because i was like I, I said to him i go yeah i'm kind of used to you every idea i ever would come to you with you would shoot it down right at the beginning and i say like, it took me a long time to figure out that that's just what you do you know what i mean like you know i before i would let it actually get me down i'd be like oh shit he says it's a terrible idea and i'd give up on it and now i was like now i figured my own dad out and i was like ah oh, he's just the most bearish man around and so you just have to figure out you know once you learn people you're like okay i just have to always know he's giving me the worst case scenario and that sets my range you know what i mean so i got these high expectations he's got the low and now the range is set and i can play within my range which is good i like i just like to know where i'm at just so. think of all the ideas you had that he shot down that could have been great oh my god I, we might not be here right now oh my gosh thank god he didn't talk to us when we were all starting out we right? got this idea we're gonna work with investors because we believe it's an terrible. underserved terrible, terrible idea investors are not the people you want to be working with Tom, the market's about to crash. Yeah, they're going to ask you questions about like cash flow. You don't want to be having these discussions. <laughs> I will say this: he was calling for the crash in what 2004. So I mean, at yeah. some point, I he do may have be one right. friend. He will be right sooner yeah. or later. One later. friend in 1998 told me the real estate market was going to crash because oh, it had wow. gone up, had gone up through its low of like it it went down and down and down. 1996, it started to recover yeah. and it had already been going up for two years. So in his mind, you know, we were at the peak of the... We tried to stop you. In, de- in defense of all these people, right? They they were basing their, their, their kind of analysis off of historic norms. Yes. And then when the central banks, which we already spoke about, when, when they went haywire... 
all that historic analysis was out the window because yeah. the rules of the game changed. So I yeah. got to give them the psychology. Yeah, it, it, the psychology was tough because they had just endured one of the worst housing market crashes of all time. And uh, yeah, I mean, listen, you get a bit of a run off the bottom. You probably want to lock in profits. Yeah. I mean, it's not different than a stock. They trader. didn't know they were going to drop rates to virtually zero <laughs> yes. and throw trillions and trillions of dollars into the market. I mean, yeah. you know, I don't think anyone foresaw that. You know, 1999, no one was being like, oh, here it comes comes the rates are going to zero and here comes 20 trillion dollars down the pipeline there's always someone going to sell the beginning of a secular bull market yeah. right and, so. and this, the reason i brought up stone ridge and it is i just checked it stone ridge's uh, shareholder letter if you just google that up it's a fantastic read because it condenses a lot of big things into a few pages but at the end they blew me away because they talk about like why they're you know thinking about hard money and there's a lot of money being printed and they listed off the different asset types they're buying and some of them are bonds and this kind of stuff and they listed out residential single family homes. Wow. And I thought, this is the biggest thing that, you know, we observed that in 1990. We observed that when the market kind of fluctuates, there's always the most, people still need to live. And what have we observed through COVID? It's like, when you're told to shelter in place, you are going to stay at home. Yep. You need a place to live. I also think that's why rents haven't defaulted the way everybody thought they were. Because ultimately, if, especially if you're a family with a, a young a young kids, you have to make the decision of like, well, wait a second here. Like, I don't want to be kicked out of where I'm living. Yeah. So to see them talk about like this new technology and it's a form of hard money and check out this Bitcoin thing, but then also list off as residential single family homes as a thing that they're interested in. To me, that is just another proof point of like, yeah, this is something you want to own. Yep. It is it is a human need. Yeah. And I know I know we all agree with that. I just thought it was fascinating to come from that shareholder letter, letter to list it off. No, it's, like, it's like an equity that's paying a dividend all the time too, right? A lot of people are like those are some of the most in high in demand equities out there is, you know, ones that are paying dividends and effectively that's sure, what this the now is. Stream, yeah, yeah, 100%. No, I was going to say, yeah, of course you're in a shelter in place when, when you get that, that crazy alert on your phone saying, I thought we were I, like, I thought we were under nuclear attack. Yeah. I was ready to run home. That's the first place I'm going to go. <laughs> no, I'm going to so, hide under your dining room table. So, Dude, I don't know. I'm older than you guys, but like, I remember doing a recess. There were, I don't know what they were, but we had like these drills. drills. Like, I, I feel like we were doing, I, I must remember this incorrectly. I, I, we couldn't have been doing this. Hey, like hide under your desk Like your we, chair or I, something we couldn't like have, that. but for some reason in my mind, I remember it must have just been like the fire. Or did we, did the we fire. watch a video of it when we were young, maybe? Uh, Let's get back on track right. here. So wow. yeah, the whole point was, this all started from saying residential. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Uh, this happens. This does happen on podcasts, folks. It does sometimes. You get you get in a hole. Okay, let's pick back up. I don't we're, think that's ever happened. I don't think we've had a show where that's ever happened. It's just uncontrollably. Yeah, yeah. I think we keep it. I think we just roll with it. All right. So back to mortgages. We're talking about single family homes now. Elon Musk is taking care of that. So yeah, I guess we're in. We're yeah, battery powered shuttles soon. So oh jeez, battery powered houses that just float. All so right. let's get back to the mortgage thing. Every time we bring you on, we do ask you the best rates in all the different categories. So let's go through it. Single family home currently. And I know this just changes like crazy. So yeah. best rate right now for, you know, fixed and variable on primary occupied. What, what, what is it? So it's for your home. Yeah. Well, then you got to break it down. Is it insured? Is it, is it not insured? But basically uh, insured mortgages, you're seeing rates. I mean, we're seeing 1.39s, 1.59s uh, for five-year fixed, seeing variables in the 1.4s and 1.5s and even cheaper. Obviously, we've heard the HSBC uh, special that's out there. Um, <laughs> I can't. I gotta not look at Dick. 
We can do this. We yeah, can get yeah, through we'll it. We can this. get through we'll it. Get <laughs> well, I'm sure we'll edit it or something. Who knows? Or we'll just run with it. Um, sorry, Nick's not looking. <laughs> Nick's clearly looking away, but he's laughing because I can see his shoulders moving up and down. And it's, it's all right. All right, he's back. He's back. Um, no, and uh, and obviously for conventional, I mean, we're seeing like one seven nine, one eight nine on a five year fix. We're seeing like one six, one seven on variables. I mean, it, it ranges. I mean, it really does. I mean, right now there's there's pricing managers are able to give little discounts here and there. So as a broker, we just fight to get the lowest we can for the file and. Uh, and uh, but yeah, and then of course rentals. Rentals are a little bit higher. You're seeing stuff in the like high ones, low twos, depending on a fixed or variable. But all in all, I mean these rates are these rates are fantastic. And and the truth is this: we can say this right now. There is no better time to be getting a mortgage when it comes to interest rate. These are the lowest rates we've had in Canada. Um, we've never seen this before. Tom, Nick, and I we've been doing this for now 19, 20 years, and we've never seen this. And uh, um, so it, it, everyone that buys a house, right, they're asked, hey, Dave, is this a good time for me to buy a house? I say, I can't speak to the real estate aspect of it because that's you're asking me to predict a market. But what I can tell you is a nominal thing. Um, interest rates are the lowest they've ever been. And you are getting a lower rate than anyone has been getting in this country. And that 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 I can say. The, the crazy part with this is I wonder at the end of this year when you're here and we're talking like in December, 2021, at the end of this year, what are rates going to be? Like, I can't even, the, the crazy part is before, I think all of us would sit down and try to predict it. Like, ah, they're probably going to be this. And I don't think any one of us sitting here right now can really hazard any sort of prediction. Like that's how crazy the market is right now. We have no clue. Yeah. It's, well, it's, uh, the prediction is that it's, it's very hard for any overnight lending rate to go up. Yeah, like, like math, 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 just simple math. Yeah. You, you can't really go up. The interest on any debt just at the government level, they're so indebted, they can't have rates go In up. In any meaningful way. Maybe they try to push through some small change or something, but there's no in any meaningful way that's really going to have a huge impact. That, 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 you got to think that they're talking about at that level saying like, we got to do something because it's, oh, they know but it's But then mathematically here. they can't. So no, the, the only thing then is, do they change down payments? Do they come to Dave and say, hey guys, forget it. You know, anyone who had, could qualify for 5% down before they're buying their primary place of residence, gone. It's 10% down. Do they change down? Because we've, we've had the stress test where they just have to qualify at a higher interest rate, even though the real rate's lower. But do they do fundamental changes where they're like, down payments now change? You have well, to have, we we just they, talked about this, member on the Monday Rockstar all-team call. The idea was, in my opinion now, so much equity has been built up from the values of the homes going up and the prices going up that now if you were... So that used to be a tool. Remember, we always we, we, there was a fear in our minds was, oh my God, if they get rid of 5% down, that could crush... The real estate market and we might now see no volume but now if you're going to change it from five to ten there's a canadians as we just said have more savings than they've ever had in like the last like whatever 50 years or something like that or maybe more um as a percentage of their of their income and certainly uh no but but just hearing you, you yeah. say this then the people then who were trying to save up the five percent literally revolt at the government because you're saying well now you've just made it harder for me to buy and I'm your voting base. Yep. Because well, now there's that too. So but you but can't they even... did that, but they did that with the stress test. So they're the government's willing to do that. It seems because it, with the people that were on the cusp before, when they did the stress test, they were no longer able sure. to qualify. But the down payment just feels a little different because if you, if you change it from five to 10% down, it just feels to me that you're telling people, it, it, but you know what, Tom, Nick, the insured mortgages are literally at their lowest point. They've been in the last 20 years what compared to conventional. Wh so when you look at the, the whole portfolio of mortgages, insured mortgage are actually the last the least they've ever so been 
was more comparative. So there's, there's more, more conventional mortgages. And that's mortgages. my point. My point being that if they eliminated 5% down, I actually think it's like a blip because A, you've got Canadians with more money. They've got more equity in their homes. So they can go to the bank of mom and dad and say, oh, I need an extra 25 grand to go buy this house. And they can get it because mom and dad just go and pull it out of their house because their value's gone up like 25% a year or something crazy like that, right? So the idea is I... You know, if you said this to us five, 10 years ago, and we've even had this conversation probably back in 2008, 2009, we're like, oh my God, if they change it to five, five from five to 10% minimum, the housing market's going to collapse because back then there were way more insured mortgages being but that's, done. That's through you. That That's overall. You're yeah, looking at the, the, overall. the total numbers, yeah, yeah, not yeah, just yeah. through you. Yeah, insured okay. is down. Yeah, not just through us. Insured mortgages are down. This is the least of uh, insured mortgages, I think, in 2000. Well, 2019, and I I don't know the numbers for sure for 2020, but 2019 was the, the lowest amount of insured mortgages when compared to the amount of conventional mortgages. So if you're the government and you're looking at this, and you're like, okay, look, we, like I'm a property owner. I actually don't want prices to increase at the rate they're continuing to increase at. Like I don't want that because I know it's a, it's not a healthy market. I'd rather the slow and steady approach. Am I dis- am I upset by it? I'm not really upset by it, but I know that when you know any market like that, it kind of just screws up all the fundamentals for it, right? So yeah. if you're the government, you're looking at this, and you're you're seeing you obviously know that things kind of aren't really going well. This is in the states too. Property markets are actually jumping in the states. What do you do? Like what options do they have? I, I think you're right, Tom. They either do nothing, or it's got to be something along those lines. Or I know there was some talk, some some suggestions somewhere. I forget where I read this. Maybe if it was as a bank report or something that they might they might have to look at restrictions in different pockets of the country but i'm like how is that mm-hmm. going to fly because if they put restrictions let's say toronto was super hot and they're like okay we're going to put restrictions in toronto well then all of a sudden just more people like we saw last year more people drive Leave up to toronto and are interesting so like, i don't see how that's created a viable an, option you've created an environment where you have backed yourself into such a corner there's no options other than to do more than you that you've already been doing yeah. remember when we were talking to jeff booth and he was he was on the, sitting on that house of commons committee and he was saying that, you know, he, from what he was seeing there, I don't know, I can't remember the exact words he used, but he kind of lost hope that they're just going to do more of what they've been doing. I think they're really just going to do more and more of what, they, what they're doing, more and more money into the system, more and yes. more. And even if they make things harder and people complain, then we'll, inter- maybe Canada get, maybe CERB does transition from CERB, a temporary thing, to a universal basic income where it is, okay, all Canadians, you have a base income of X amount of dollars. They won't understand the inflation ramifications of that and asset prices will just jump up. So by putting more money into the system like that, they're just going to create a bigger divide. Like they won't be able to see second and third order effects, but but, but they'll win a lot of voters because they'll say, hey, everybody, don't worry about work so much because we're just going to guarantee this level of income for everybody. Yeah. Like maybe that's in the cards and that's how they get around, you know, prices moving yeah. up and you're talking about qualifying and stuff. Maybe that's how they which get the around. crazy thing is if that happens, then prices continue to move up. Oh, yeah. Like which, the, which seems no. The, and the reason I'm saying like that, it, it, it seems crazy to even think like mm-hmm. that is, is because we see what's going on right now. And you're like, how long is it, is it but possible I, for? But if they if they kind of tape together the, the house of cards further, then yeah. And I used to think that how ridiculous that was. But now I'm thinking, OK, you know what? If you've had universal basic income in place for asset owners for the last 10 years, 20 years, whatever, because that's basically what's Nick, to your point, you use that language saying, hey, the, the low interest rates has been universal basic income for asset owners. Right. That's that's kind of what we've seen. All right, then fine. If the only thing you can do is in your wisdom of government power is to do universal basic income then shove it out the door. But let's at least us, between us and anyone listening to this, teach the Canadians who, who are open to take as much of that as they can and buy good assets. Because yeah. then they can use the government's stupidity 
to buy good assets to put them into a place when further divide happens, they own some good assets. Yeah, you're, like maybe that's the the best we can hope for. That yeah. like anyone who gets that universal basic, basic income quickly freaking take it and buy good assets, whatever that means to you, because that's the only transition I see. And then we can all talk about Bitcoin and stuff if there's yep. this other monetary thing that you can buy as like this kind of saving grace, the life raft that carries you through the storm. Maybe there's some of that in angle in this as well. It can makes you sense. imagine Canadians just take their money, buy real estate and Bitcoin with it with universal basic income? That would be brilliant. Well, isn't the, the U.S. checks, how many extra Robinhood accounts got opened after all those early U.S. Oh, really? Checks yeah, I haven't seen that data. Oh, yeah, the, the number of Robinhood accounts that all of a sudden got opened last spring after the, the stimulus went out in the U.S., it jumped by multiples. If you look at it, it's a, I, I should try to look up the graph. It's crazy to see it. So you just saw a lot of them yeah. were taking the, the stimulus money and just dumping sure, it into the... And why I, do you think Tesla went up 800%? And there's a couple of guys year. on Twitter who bought Bitcoin with theirs in the US and they just keep posting, thanks for my whatever the... Yeah. Gu- whatever Stimmy. Yeah, yeah. They call it, it a it's, stimmy. It's, it's thanks now, for my stimmy. It's now worth this much. It's now worth yeah. this much. Yeah. And, and and Dave, this is what we've been telling people. And, and we're like, is real estate and, and Bitcoin this magical combo where you get to ride the old system for all it's worth? Because it's, you know, as they play with the old monetary system, you're just going to get all the value of it's going to be represented in real estate. Hey, you, then, you said a good, you said value, right? So, I mean, yeah, I think you just got one more thing you got to throw in there though. So you got real estate, you got Bitcoin and, weed stocks. and then us marijuana stocks. And I think <laughs> yeah. you've got all the value stuff covered. Cause Biden, what, what's Biden? I don't even know what's Biden's stance on all that. Yeah, stuff. It's a, you're they're, thinking they're, they're going to legalize pro. it. Oh, yeah. Well, it, it, we're actually in a weird way. If you're invested in the U S marijuana sector right now, you actually don't want quick, Legal like federal legalization, you want to allow the companies that you're invested in to still continue to build their footprints before, and then that allows a little less regulation. How many right? states is it legal in now? It's like twenty something. Oh, so and that's almost so, half. Right? Yeah, and there's a bunch of them are wreck, and then some are only medical. But I mean, the the Biden administration, their you know their platform was decriminalization, which a lot of people believe will lead to federal legalization over maybe a four year term. And what do they do with everyone who's in jail on marijuana charges? They're already letting them out. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They're already like what? there's news stories every day about some guy that's been in prison for 20 years for selling marijuana and they're just there's releasing them. Yeah. What so. about the Canadian marijuana? I thought I, I, I read a bubble, this. bubble I, burst and it won't. Oh, come so back. Is, is that what it was? Because I, I guess that yeah. is the what was it? The volume wasn't like they're not the sales aren't well, as high it, as they thought it would be. Is that right? Yeah. I no? mean, there was I mean, anyone that I, I was an investor in that as well at the in the early we're talking 2015, 2016. And the thesis was that a Canadian, the Canadian marijuana sector would be the first G7 country get started and that the possibility existed for the world leaders and now international marijuana to be originating from Canada. So that was the big bet. It was a big speculative bet, right? And the difference being is that you created a bubble where there was no no fundamentals behind it. So you had this run up at one point canopy growth, you know, uh, in October of 2018 had a valuation, a market cap, cap of about I think $25 billion, 25 billion, right? Their sales for that quarter were like, $40 $40 million of cannabis. So it created a bubble, right? You created a, you created a bubble on the way up. And then it's a, when you've got no fundamentals behind the, the speculation, that's when you see an, it, it just disintegrated. And then, so what you're having is you're having a lot of consolidation in the Canadian sector. You're having some of these companies go bankrupt. Now you're seeing a lot of M&A going on. But what's happening in the States that nobody knows about and very few Canadians know about is that in the States for the last four, five, six years, there've been companies, big companies that have been growing 
they're, they're way, they what we call MSOs, multi-state operators, right? They actually have operations in multiple states where it's legal or where it's medically legal or recreationally legal, and they've been building. So behind the scenes, as this Canadian debacle has been going on, right, these U.S. companies have actually been building true pillars. And now what you have is you have a much more, you have a, you have a much bigger TAM, which is the addressable market, right? So the addressable market in the States is just so much more than Canada. And now you've got these companies where when the bubble is created now, which is, you know, you will see the same thing that happened in, in Canada happen in the States now. The bubble will be created, but the bubble will be tougher to burst because now these companies have real revenues. One of these companies, like one of the biggest marijuana companies in the world that nobody knows about, a company called Kiraleaf. Nobody knows about this company. And if, you talk to, if I talk to any Canadian, they'll be like, who's that? I know Canopy. Is it Canopy? No, it's Kiraleaf. Kiraleaf is in the States. These, these guys, they're, they are producing more revenue from marijuana than any other company in the world. And nobody knows these people. Their 2021 revenue might end up being one point potentially $5 billion in revenue. And they have an, and it's not even federally legal there. They have like they are working in crazy environment of tax. They have a 280E issue where they actually pay taxes on their revenue as opposed to their profits, right? They have no access to uh, capital markets because it's federally illegal. So they're not even on any big exchanges like this, like some of the canopies. So they're not even able to get institutional money basically interested in them. When and now what's happened is the Democratic, the, the Biden win with the Democratic Senate takeover when they won those two seats in Georgia. That is basically now you, the, the idea is that the value most investors think within the next one to two years, all the value that's there will be gone. And these companies will now have fair valuations. But right now they are severely undervalued, even in today's today after today's after the run up we've had for a couple of weeks. So but wow. you can't get the, the, the pandemic has actually sped this up because it's actually shown more people than when you put them at home. They just sit and Do smoke drugs. marijuana all day. All, all, all of this drug use has gone way up. All all alcohol vices. use, yep. everything. Yeah, yeah. All of this up. is reminding me about that book, The Fourth Turning, Nick, that talks about this, this little segment of history, how the fourth turning, it's just an economic, a historical pattern repeats. And there's this fourth turning every 80 to 100 years. And we're in one of them right now. Um, and, and all the factors seem to be combining together. We'll, we'll, we'll wrap. Dave, thank you so much for doing this. Thank man. you. We really appreciate it. We'll, we'll get the axe and the lumberjack stuff going and, and, and set up. Nick, anything else? <laughs> am there? I a partner in this, by the way? So oh, yeah. we'll call it Rockstar Lumberjack, but am I well, now? Yeah, no, it's, Perfect. yeah. It's, awesome. it, Butler, Rockstar, Lumberjack, <laughs> R.S. Yeah, I mean, this select. <laughs> every morning, every morning around the campfire, Tom will tell a story about his grade school memories. I like for, this. For yeah, everyone. yeah, I like We'll do that. We'll do that. <laughs> Thanks, Dave. Appreciate it, man. Thank you. Hey, everybody. So hopefully you enjoyed that chat. If you're trying to get through to Butler Mortgages Select and Dave, you can use this number. It's 1-888-684-8326. Or the email is info at BM. Yep, BM Select. Why am I hesitating here? Info at bmselect.ca. So the email address for Butler Mortgages Select is info at bmselect.ca. And if you're trying to get some real estate information for yourself, you can download a free copy of our book, Income for Life for Canadians at www.rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash books. That book's been downloaded tens of thousands of times at this point. It's often referred to from different clients we've worked with as their starting point into our world. You can get that at rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash books. That's it for this episode. Until next time, your life, your terms.